You are Locked On Pit, your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Panthers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Panther Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Pit, your daily podcast for everything Pittsburgh Panthers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Nick Farabaugh. Find me on Twitter at Nick underscore Farabaugh. I work for ACC Network. Call games for WPTS Sports, the local radio station for Pitt on campus there. And I write about Pitt for Pittsburgh Sports. Now, we got a great thing on tap today. Alan Saunders, Pittsburgh Sports Now, joins us today to talk about it. What he thought about the game on Saturday. Did Pitt look good against Tennessee and what they can work on? Notably, the running back rotation, the offensive line and also a little bit of talk about the defense. And we'll also talk a little bit about that pit volleyball team, just how good is Dan Fisher's group, and how far can they go, all coming up on Locked on Pit. All right, folks, welcome back to the Locked on Pit podcast. Got a very special guest with me, Alan Saunders, but first... Make sure to check out Locked On ACC. There's no better place to get all of your ACC conference news than the Locked On ACC podcast hosted by Candace Cooper. Follow the Locked On ACC podcast on the Audacity app or wherever you get your podcast. Now joined by Alan. We work together, so I'm just going to cut the cheese on that. But Alan, you obviously went down to Knoxville. It was a great environment. I mean, how was it like that down there in Knoxville? Yeah, I was I was down there in Knoxville, and uh, we, we, I made the long drive uh, from there to Buffalo the next day. But uh, I had a great weekend, and just a great college atmosphere down there in Knoxville. Um, wasn't a full crowd. Would have really liked to have seen Neyland Stadium with you know I don't know what it holds, 105 something like that. That'd have been awesome. It was only about three quarters full, and Pitt had them pretty quiet after the first quarter. So. Um, didn't, didn't get the full-on stadium experience, but just walking around campus. It seemed like a really nice campus, and um, obviously a lot of people there. A lot of Pitt fans, too. seemed like Pitt traveled. That's the best I can ever remember Pitt traveling to an away game. There were at least a couple thousand Pitt fans. Yeah, the whole, uh, what was it, corner of the end zone there was uh, blue, and then I think they had the upper deck, too. Um, so Pitt did travel well, and usually that's not something I can say about Pitt, but they tra- they really did travel well whether it was for the novelty of the game or whatever. I mean, they had an effect. You heard them on TV going, let's go pit, let's go pit or ACC, ACC. Can't say that much for, you know, pit. That's a, that's a new thing. And I mean, do you think those fans legitimately as the game kind of rolled on and pit kind of got the momentum and went up, you know, 34, 20, and then again, 41, 27, and they start chanting, do you really think they actually had an effect on that game and especially strengthen that pit team down the stretch? I mean, I don't think it has an effect on the game as far as like, they're not making enough noise to bother somebody's snap count or, you know, something like that. But I just think when things aren't going well for you at in college, especially when you're dealing with college athletes, just any number of things can kind of let that snowball, right? Like I thought at the end of the game, when Tennessee was really driving the ball, what happened to Pitt was they had a couple bad calls. Uh, I thought, um, the pass interference call against Damari Mathis wasn't very good. And I thought the spot might have been the very next play. I thought that was like a four yards bad spot. And you could see like 
things were going a little fast for the pit defense. And that's when Tennessee took advantage. They went in and scored just anything that that can get when things aren't going well, anything else like that, anything external, like, Oh man, they're in our stadium. Like, why are, why are we hearing their fans? Like it doesn't take a lot of those things to just contribute to that snowball effect when things start going one way or another with momentum in college football. So I don't know if it makes some kind of big, huge difference, but it definitely plays a part in the way people feel when they're playing and certainly fired up those pit guys, especially that goal line stand that Pitt has where I believe it was uh, Chase Pine comes flying through the, the right side. That was right in front of all those pit fans right there. Uh, our photographer, uh, Mitchell Northam, his, his video of the play, you can hear the pit fans in the background from the field on that play, they seem to make a difference anyway. Big play, too. And, I mean, Tennessee fans are, you know, you talk about the refs with the pit. Tennessee fans are mad that the play before that, Hendon Hooker didn't get the first down call. I thought it was a good call by the refs. I thought he was short. Um, refereeing was kind of shoddy all day, I thought. Just both sides a little bit. There were questionable calls. and Yeah. I mean. The first, the first DPI that went against Tennessee was a bad call. It was definitely way uncatchable. And then they called another one against Pitt that was very tight okay so maybe it's gonna be fair maybe they're gonna call it tight all game but then there was one against Jordan Addison on a third down in the fourth quarter that I think could have been called just didn't feel like uh, there was much of a a consistent standard with pass interference I thought there were a couple spots that were questionable uh throughout the game uh, really that 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 didn't seem to I remember um the one you were talking about the the screen play I believe where yeah you ran back lost they gave him progress and it was only a one yard loss yeah um there were a few questionable calls as well refereeing did not help anything but I, I do want to talk about football you know I've doused Kenny Pickett with praise and I think you also know how good Kenny Pickett's been but I, I kind of want to get off Kenny Pickett because we know what he is he is the guy he's why they won this football game really along with with some other help offensively but on the offensive side I mean I think there's two stories coming out of this that are kind of concerning one, the run game, I don't think he was great. Two, the running backs. I don't think that the running backs showed a ton. Now, you know, there's a lot of debate. Vincent Davis or Izzy Abanikanda? Do you throw A.J. Davis or Rodney Hammond back in there? I mean, what's your kind of view? Why is Vincent Davis getting more playing time than Izzy Abanikanda? I think there's an obvious answer to that. But why Why do you think Vincent Davis continues to play? And do you think Izzy could maybe step into more of a role as the season continues? Well, Vincent Davis is a better pass protector than Israel Benikanda. He's a very good pass protector, especially for somebody his size. Pat and Arduzzi mentioned him today. There were several, you know, whatever you want to call them, cartwheels where it's a cut block on a on a blitzing linebacker, and they're going feet over their head and taken completely out of the play. Uh, you see that from Vincent Davis. You're not going to see it from Izzy. Um, he's also not super decisive. In addition to the physical part of blocking, it's not super decisive about where I need to go. The one pit sack was a miscommunication between Abanacanda and Gavin Bartholomew on the left side about who was chipping and who was helping with the inside blitzer. It's hard, pretty much impossible from the outside to say who exactly was in the wrong, um, but they both went the same way and left a wide open rusher come inside. If you're going to both go the wrong way, You should both go inside and let the outside guy come free. You don't ever want a mistake to be on the inside. That's how Kenny Pickett gets hurt. If Kenny Pickett had been looking the wrong way and that linebacker comes free on an inside blitz, season's over. 
Like you just talked about how good Kenny Pickett is. It only takes one shot, and then that's it. I mean, I like Nick Patty. I think he's a very capable backup. But let's be real. Pitt has a good chance to have its best season in a really long time because they have Kenny Pickett. And it really doesn't matter what else it does to the offense. Job one has to be keep number eight clean. And so whichever running back does that better needs to play a lot of the time. I do think there are circumstances where they could use Israel Benacanda more than they did against Tennessee. I also think they just ran the ball too often in general for a team that was struggling to run the ball. Vincent Davis doesn't need 19 carries. He's not that running back. Um, if you're going to play him, and I think I'm, there's a good case for playing him, fine. Don't run the ball 19 times. They had one jet sweep. It gained four yards. They didn't call a single designed quarterback run. Um, there are other ways to move the football on the ground besides turning and handing the ball off up the middle to a 165 pound running back. And I don't think that is a good idea, no matter what they're doing. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the thing with Davis is the fact that they identified him as the short yardage back was very puzzling to me. I didn't get that. I think that's where you could have seen Daniel Izzy. Carter's like 260. Exactly. And, you know, and is, I mean, if, 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 if you were working with those two running backs, if you came into the game saying we're only going to use Izzy and Vincent Davis, Izzy is the better option there. No doubt. He's more dense. He doesn't go down as easily. Even though Vincent Davis fights, you have to understand the guy's size. He just goes down easier than a Bandy Cannon does. And a Bandy Cannon is going to work those tough yards. And now, granted, on that touchdown run, Vincent Davis did have it was a tough run. He put his shoulders right behind the lineman and he got down. But a bandy cannon makes that run pretty easy, uh, much easier than Davis made it look. And that's just kind of the thing. And I agree with you that Vincent Davis is the better pass protector, and that's why he's playing more. But it kind of comes down to this. I also think they're misusing Vincent Davis. I, I really do. This is a zone runner. He's a zone type of guy. Get him outside the tackles, run some outside zone, use him on, you know, in space. I like I like the idea of getting those swing passes out to him to the far side of the field. And he gained about, what, nine yards on that? I thought that was perfect. Yeah. I'd love seeing Vincent Davis on there. I would love to see him used on wheel routes, stuff like that. I'd Pitches, like shovel yeah. passes, get the guy in space. The one play they did run that I really liked is when they went unbalanced and it was like a sprint out handoff. Like that, but they ran it one time. Same thing with the jet sweep. They ran it one time. How many times did they run inside or power with him? I don't know. It just seemed like the priorities were off when he was in the game. I, I agree with that. And I feel like they don't have, listen, they have two true power backs on the roster. And it's Davis and Carter that you talked about. But if they're going to go ahead with Izzy and and Vincent Davis, they need to go, in my opinion, in a more zone or just, you know, they can run outside. They can run counter. They can run a ton of things that get those guys outside that are gap runs. It doesn't have to necessarily be all outside wide zone stuff. It can be stuff like that to set up the series that you talked about. So I agree. I think the running back situation is something that has to get figured out, not really because of the players themselves, more so I think the coaches just don't know what is completely configured there just yet. Now, otherwise, I do want to It doesn't talk- seem like – it doesn't seem like – one more thing about the running backs. It doesn't seem like the coaches really under, have a firm grasp on who should be playing where either. I mean, Pat said they had a meeting Thursday about who the top two running backs were going to be for this game, and that tracks because A.J. Davis started against UMass – and didn't play against Tennessee. If you had any idea about who was going to play at Tennessee, that would have been the wrong thing to do. You would want to get Vincent Davis in, in the different situations, or and he barely played against UMass. Their roles basically flip-flopped from the first game to the second game. So it certainly seems like 
you know, there wasn't a firm plan coming out of training camp as to who was going to have what roles. And this is still very uncertain going forward. I wouldn't think that just because we saw it used this way against Tennessee, that's going to stay the same. I, I expect this to be a, a fluid situation. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I wouldn't hate seeing Rodney Hammond maybe get in there as well. I thought he looked good against UMass. But there's yeah. a lot of experimenting that they have to do with this with this running back room. But I also do want to talk about that offensive line. But first, all right, college football fanatics, have you heard about prize picks? Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and I know you will too. If you want to prop bet on Jordan Addison catching a touchdown or Kenny Pickett throwing three touchdowns or Vincent Davis running for 50 or more yards, guys, prize picks has it. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world, and they offer it for everybody. The star players, under the radar guys, you'll see it all here on prize picks in any sport as well. Not just college football, NFL, NBA, college basketball, MLB, soccer, MMA, anything you can imagine. All of these people get on here and love it. You pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to ten times on any entry. They allow you to do mixed sport entries as well use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. So don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com. Go to your App Store and download today. Prize Picks is fantasy made easy. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. You can choose not to spend 30, 50% or even 100% for more of the same parts you would get at the chain store or car dealership. You can get them for less. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers like yourself for 20 years. Over that, in fact. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer and they have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpets, all of that and more. Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts on your car you'll ever need. rockauto.com All right, folks, welcome back to Locked on Pit. Let's get into this offensive line here with Allen, what we kind of saw with them. So this is a complicated unit, I guess, is, is how you could describe it. Um, really a tale of two, two things with them. Great protection for Kenny Pickett all day. They went max protect a lot, kept a lot of guys in to help them with that, and they really did handle that Tennessee pass rush. Granted, the Tennessee pass rush wasn't very good last year, and they were missing Byron Young, their best pass rusher. But it was a really good game, and it was very encouraging. But on the other hand, not much going in the way of the run game. There wasn't a ton of push. I think the, the most thing I was disappointed, I think Carter Warren didn't have a great game. Um, but, again, what was your kind of impressions of that offensive line? And you, when they go and face, say, Virginia Tech or a team like Miami, North Carolina, teams that have actual pass rushing talent, how worried are you about that team and how worried are you that they can become one dimensional and just quite frankly, run off the rails? Yeah, I'm not super worried about the pass protection. I actually think they have the tools to deal with a lot of different 
pass protection challenges. Um, one is two really good tight ends they like in Lucas Kroll and Gavin Bartholomew that are very good uh, inline blockers, chip blockers, whatever they need to be. Uh, I think Vincent Davis is a, and A.J. Davis are both really good pass-protecting running backs. Um, I highlighted A.J. Davis in my film study at UMass. He just put a D-lineman on the ground uh, with a with a one-shoulder chip. You don't see – I mean, yes, it's UMass, but you just don't see stuff like that. Um, they So they have the ability to help that offensive line in pass protection. They also have some different guys. Like, I think I think Matt Gonsalves is a player that – like, if Carter Warren's just not having a great day or maybe there's somebody with, like, a little bit too much speed for him because he's a bigger guy, they could bring in Gonsalves and, and be comfortable doing that as well. I think they have the tools to have success in pass pro. I worry about the run game getting consistent push. I just don't think they're ever going to get consistent push. I think no matter what, all year there's going to be those times where, you know, look, everybody's got their guys pushed except for one guy who's two yards in the backfield and there goes the running play. And in the run game, you just can't have that. You have to have, at the very least, four of the five connected, executing together in order to get consistent push. And I just don't think they're going to get that. And and when you combine that with the fact that they're using some smaller running backs that aren't going to break tackles, it just it makes the running game a, 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 a riskier proposition because you're you're putting negative plays into play too often in the running game. I, that's what I see as a pitfall, especially when you get into some teams with some bigger and athletic defensive tackles. Like I would love to go see a, a ones versus ones pit, pit practice right now and see how they're dealing with Kalijah Kansi, because I don't think that's a very, like that's exactly the kind of player that I think is going to give Pitt a lot of problems when they go find them in the ACC. Um, and I just don't see a way for them to consistently block a player like that right now. I guess good news for Pitt, there's not a ton of those guys on their schedule, um, quite frankly. A lot of those guys in the ACC are on the other side of the map, and they face maybe a few of them, but even Clemson, Clemson doesn't recruit a ton of guys like that. They they recruit a lot more space eater types of guys, so Cansey might be a unicorn for them. But if we're talking about a team that has, you know, that wants that 9-10 win season, that can be a difference maker. And credit to the offensive line, though. Down the stretch, they did close out the game, and they did close the door when they needed to after the Brandon Hill interception. That was, I think, that was the best blocking they've done. They did um, on Saturday, and boy, they needed it at the right time. Um, but I, I do think I think the offense overall looks good. Kroll looks great. The receivers played well, other than I think Shockey Jacques Louis had a pretty bad day, kind of missing that first down um, starting. But other than that, I thought they had great day weapons wise, and I thought the offense looked really good. Hopefully this is the offense they have. But on the other hand, I mean, this defense was kind of surprisingly bad. I mean, I don't think anyone especially thought the defense was going to look like that. But I think there are things when you look at on this defense that say this might be a Tennessee-specific problem where Josh Heupel gets his guys one-on-one in space. So it requires your secondary to tackle a lot better. Pat Narduzzi really hasn't had a history of missed tackles like that before either. I think there are good signs. And when you look at the peripherals, Pitt still held them to negative EPA, both Hooker and Milton, when passing the football. It was really just Hendon Hooker running the football. That was really the spark plug. And then the tight ends up the middle of the field. But Pat Narduzzi today did, did talk a little bit about those DBs. And he basically said, hey, 
listen, we're not going to run cover three. We're not going to run cover two because in cover two, we get gashed by the run and cover three. The safety is basically useless. Now, I don't completely agree with that, but that's how Pat Narduzzi views things in his press man quarter scheme. I mean, that's just a realization of what Pitt's going to have to live with with this scheme. Guys getting behind him at times, explosive plays at times. That's just Pat Narduzzi's scheme, really. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole the whole thought process of running quarters most of the time is that it's going to free your defensive line to rush the passer on every play because your linebackers and your safeties are facing the line of scrimmage and they can support the run. So your ends just fly upfield. They don't have a ton of responsibilities in the run game. Your ends are just flying upfield. They're getting after the quarterback the second that the, the ball snapped. And then you're, you're pressing on the outside to disrupt the ability for the opposing offense to use a quick passing game to negate your pass rush. And so in order for the pit defense to get beat, three things have to happen. The offensive line has to block the pass rush. The wide receiver has to beat the press. And then those plays are now low percentage passes. They're now 10, because by the time you beat the press, you're 10, 15 yards downfield. And most college quarterbacks just aren't accurate enough to hit those often enough to make you really pay for playing with that strategy. That is the entire theory of what Pat Narduzzi is doing with his quarter zone. And I think the last part of that is the questionable part of it, because I think there are quarterbacks in the ACC, some of which are on pit schedule this year, that are accurate enough to consistently make them pay for that coverage. And I Hello, think Sam Howell. I think if Sam Howell or DJ Uyagalale was the quarterback on Saturday, Pitt would have got lit up. So I disagree with that part of it. But against Joe Milton, especially against an athletic quarterback, where you're now responsible for the quarterback runs also, it's a good strategy. Like, that's a good strategy to play Joe Milton. It's not always the best fit, and Pitt does it all the time, and I think that's sometimes been problematic. But I don't have a big issue with the way they played it against Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, some some guys that you've seen light it up over the years, Mason Rudolph coming through. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, UCF did it every year. The, Dylan Gabriel was great against Pitt because he <laughs> was an anchor deep ball thrower. Now, Pitt did beat Sam Howell, which – freshman Sam Howell, but they did beat Sam Howell. But last year you saw them get lit up by Trevor Lawrence, like a Christmas tree. Um, now this year they have a few guys. Twice, you mentioned. twice that happened, twice. Yeah, twice. And, you, you you know, you did say Sam Howell was on the schedule. That could be a, a very worrying matchup. Uh, Uwe Agagale, we'll kind of see what they can do there with him. He obviously struggled against Georgia. Pitt's no Georgia, but I do think Pitt can run a certain, uh, a certain modified game plan similar to what Georgia did at least. Um, because, again, I think they have the athleticism and, and talent up front to do stuff like that. So we'll see how they do it. I mean, even De'Eric King, you know, he's erratic and everything, but he can make you pay with with some stuff down the football field as well. There's there's trouble potentially coming down the schedule thanks to that strategy. But let's just focus on those DBs for a second. I mean, the DBs are, you know, they're not young, young, but they are kind of inexperienced here. Damari Mathis. Marquez Williams are, are very experienced, but, you know, Brandon Hill came in with limited starting experience. Hallett had been a reserve, but never truly a starter. Now he is, and A.J. Woods and M.J. Devonshire really just stepping into a bigger role for the first time. I mean, I didn't think Woods played well. I thought he really struggled. Uh, I thought Devonshire looked better of those two, 
Um, so I wonder if that means more Devonshire coming up in the future. Rashad Battle struggled against UMass. So, I mean, what's your kind of take on how this rotation should work at DB? I'm thinking Devonshire, Hallett, Hill, Williams, and Mathis are probably your best options. Yeah, I think those are the five best DBs they have pretty clearly. Honestly, I think Devonshire might be the second best option at three positions, both corners and free safety. If I had to go, like I would, like if I was filling out depth chart, that's the way I'd do it. Um, I think Brandon Hill's a stud at strong safety, not just because of the interception, which he wasn't even really playing strong safety on that play because they were in a weird coverage and it was like a more like a cover two safety, but um, he, he's just a really, really solid uh, player. He's a solid tackler. He's smart. He, that, posi- that position, and I, I think people that watch Paris Ford over the last couple of years can kind of recognize this. Is like It's a position where you can make a physical impact, but mental mistakes are bad ones. Like if you come flying up to the wrong place and miss a tackle when you're the strong safety in Pitt's defense, it's a touchdown most of the time. Um, and so I just think I've been really impressed with his ability uh, to play really strong mentally. And he's always been a bigger physical guy that looks the part physically. So I, I think he's, he's a, a stud. I think he's an all ACC type player by the time he's done at Pitt. Um, Damari Mathis is, I have no, no, no questions about his ability. I mean, he's very physical um, for his size. He's not the biggest corner in the world, but he's, he's physical for his size. And I think he does a good job. Marquez Williams is going to have trouble with guys that are six, two and bigger. He's just not that tall. Um, but you love the heart of that guy. He's got quick speed. I thought he actually, he got injured early against Tennessee. And I thought after he came back, he wasn't really as effective as he usually is. So I don't know if, Maybe it was the time down or maybe the whatever he, he was banged up is bothering him. Uh, Wood struggled and is not – that's a tough game for him because he's not a very strong tackler, and that UCF um, scheme really puts emphasis on DB's tackling in space. But there will be other matchups that have different, different needs, and he's a – probably the fastest of those dbs uh if you put him in a foot race and so there will be times when that is useful i i think he probably played a little bit too much against uh tennessee i say ucf earlier it's the same scheme uh the, the ucf offense uh at tennessee the josh heupel offense uh i, I thought he struggled with that mj devonshire really impressed me because he played a lot and i thought he was really good uh, i'd like to see him on the field more who did i miss eric hallett Solid, unspectacular. I think he's not Demar Hamlin, but he's getting the job done. Yeah, I kind of feel that as well. And at times when he was in, I thought Talender kind of struggled as well over the past two weeks. So, you know, I, I don't love the depth right now, but I do think they have a sleeping guy that I've been high on in Khalil Anderson. I don't know if they'll, it'll come to the point where he has to get onto the field this year, but I'm just saying if they get an injury plague there at the cornerback position, I think I would – pick Anderson over a few guys that might be a little bit above him on the depth chart right now. Um, and but- I'll tell you a Khalil Anderson story real quick. So the first day I was at Pitt training camp this year, I didn't grab a roster before I walked over. And I know most of the numbers, but Anderson is one of the freshmen this year whose number I didn't know coming in. And I just, so I'm just there looking at practice and there's guys I don't know, you know, I don't know who that is. And I'm just, who the hell is three? Is that a transfer? 
because that doesn't look like a freshman. Like, did who's this new cornerback transfer Pitt has? Because this guy looks like he's 22. Uh, no, that's true freshman. Uh, he's going to be a good player for him. I don't know how much he's going to see the field this year, but I'd be very excited about his future. Yeah, so am I. And again, if they have that injury bug, I think he would be a great – I think Pitt, you know, kind of looking just around the ACC, they're one of the deeper DB groups, which is kind of interesting. I mean, they do have good DBs here at Pitt. So – and I, I agree. I, I think A.J. Woods, while he struggled, I think in other matchups there are going to be better matchups for him. But that tackle attempt on Callaway was awful, just truly awful. And uh, he's got to improve on that. Certainly going to be uh, gr- drilled in the tackling drills this week. I'm certain of that. Well, if you um, remember but- when Jason Pinnock was young, they brought him in as sort of like a big receiver specialist. And I could see Anderson filling that role because if you look at the other guys that play the field corner, Williams is small, Woods is kind of skinny, not real physical. They could use an option there to be a bully when somebody has a big receiver. I think Anderson could come in and do that part of it right away anyway, maybe just carve out a little niche for him uh, in specific circumstances. All I'm saying is the guy's not named Damari Mathis because Damari Mathis will be gone up this year. Probably going to have to look behind them next year because I think Anderson might be able to leave them. <laughs> and before we leap over to the volleyball team, let's talk a little bit about Bet Online AG back better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all pro and college football action. This season with the new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, betonline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Make sure to use the promo code Locked On to use Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Panther Nation, welcome back to the Locked on Pit podcast. Man, am I excited to talk about this Pit volleyball team and what I would consider the best team in Pit athletics right now. Yeah, the men's soccer team, they're ranked and they look like they're back on track. The women's soccer team is ranked. They look strong even as injuries compile up. Over there, the football team's undefeated. Yeah, but Pitt women's volleyball, man. Pitt volleyball. It's a volleyball school. Went to the Elite Eight last year. They bring back everyone. Get Serena Gray. Locator member Manet also comes over. Two key transfers. And man, really, what can you say? I mean, there's not a lot you can say. Listen, the schedule tells the whole story. Number 23, Rice. Okay, one ranked team. 3-2 to two win. Number 18, Washington State. 3-1 win. Unranked South Carolina, but a tough South Carolina team. 3 to nothing. Cool. Number 9, Baylor. 3-2 to two win. Tennessee. 3-2 to win. High point. 3 nothing win. Number 12, BYU, 3-1 win. Bowling Green, clean sweep, 3-0. At the time they played, that's four ranked wins. And folks, Tennessee, 
was also ranked. So, while they didn't beat Tennessee while they were ranked, they sure are now. Pitt, in other words, at the time when they have done this, have beaten five ranked teams. Five ranked teams through eight games, and they're eight no. I mean, really, it 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 it's comical, isn't it? At this point, I mean, in their schedule, they're the ACC. You know, it's not like a brutal gauntlet. It's a nice conference, but it doesn't look like a complete gauntlet just yet. They'll have some tough games coming up, but I mean, just you even look around, you know, Pitt's stats in terms of. You know, just the ACC conference. I mean, they're, they're sixth in hit percentage. So, I mean, that's not crazy, right? But again, they've beaten five ranked teams. They're third in the ACC in overall assists. I like seeing that. Fourth with kills. Fourth in kills. There's a lot of factors. One of them is the efficiency in which they win. The other, again, they've played such good competition. And they've been so steady against this high competition. 12.84 assists per set. Great stuff. I mean, really. And it's such a deep lineup. I think that's perhaps the most impressive thing to me. How deep it is. Especially, I mean, they're outside hitters and they're middle back blockers are just unbelievable I mean they have so many good offensive attackers Valeria Vasquez Gomez Chinaza Ende Anastasia Russ is getting in there now they still have Jordan Lockwood Sabrina Starks is probably their best blocker up there look at member Manet I mean you just look Shiamaka Wokolo, Serena Gray, and obviously you can't forget Kayla Lund. I mean, seriously. Stupid deep. Stupid deep. And then you have Ashley Browski, Kylie Levers, Lexus Akeo. I mean, this team is so deep. And they have so many ways to beat you. And that's my most impressive thing about this team. They've now gotten the aces as well. The aces have started to come around. You know, it's not just, hey, we are a team that will set very well. We have great ability to set up our attackers. And we can also get after you on the defensive end. We're a lengthy team. It's not easy to get into pit zone. They're a good defensive team. Starks and Gray both averaging over one. Block per set at this point. So th this is a good team as well on that end. But you look at what they have. They're just so deep. They keep they keep each other fresh. And anyone can get the hot hand. That's the thing. This is a thing where anyone can get the hot hand at any time. And when you run into a team that has that, it's tough to game plan for them. No matter if it's... Vasquez Gomez, who has incredible velocity and power behind her hits, and Day, who's just 
so savvy, has touch on her balls, as well as the speed. You know, Lund, who's obviously just has such high IQ and knows the exact points and accuracy and everything to hit it. Just so many few errors. They've cut out a lot of service errors as well. They don't play sloppy. I mean, the the the, the communication seems great. This is a loaded team, and I, I'm going to say this. I think that they really do have the ability to potentially even go further than they did last year. This is a possible national championship team we're looking at right now. And I think the two transfers, member Manet and Serena Gray, have been so key to that. Serena Gray has been a terror early on, transfer from Penn State. Lekator member Manet has been great as well. She really has been impressive. It's not really surprising again. She really has been good coming over from Missouri. I mean, you just look at all things she has done. She's just been a productive player. 14 kills, 3 kills, 9 kills, 11 kills, 5 kills, 7 kills, 6 kills. She's been so super solid. And Serena Gray, on the other hand, I mean, she has been phenomenal. When you have so many other weapons, it's hard to, to go in on one person. Serena Gray has taken advantage of this. 13 kills, 9 kills, 9 kills, 4 kills, 7 kills, 6 kills, 9 kills, 7 kills. And pretty much every stat line is similar to that one, if you look at their attackers. Unreal stuff from Pitt Women's Volleyball. They look fantastic. And Dan Fisher knows how to work his lives, depending on matchup. Really know how has to exploit a weakness and, and keep the momentum going. I love Dan Fisher as a coach, too. So they have a great head coach on top of that. Overall, just very excited to see what this team can do in the future. However, before we get out of here, don't forget to check out Locked On Bets, betting on any league you want. It doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by Eurobor Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's Lock of the Day.